Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Odyssey Podcast, where every week me and my brother trek through cinema on a quest to find the greatest film ever made. And this week, we're talking about Unforgiven. Uh, so, Randy... They didn't use the Metallica song. I was a little annoyed. <laughs> I, unironic, I know this is supposed to be, like, you know, a very, like, true revisionist western, but, like, they could have dropped the needle at some point. Over the credits, just played Unforgiven by Metallica. My dub be Unforgiven. I, I might be weird, but I, I still like Metallica. That, that's just me. What's wrong with Metallica? Hold on, tangent time. What's wrong with Metallica? A, a lot of people say their shit went downhill after the Black Album. Well, I, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously. But other people say the Black Album is also, like, pop trash. And I think those people are, are garbage human beings. Sorry, <laughs> friends. Um, but well, I mean, it just, it, it did go down after the Black Album, but that, that's just because the singer just effed up his voice something fierce. It's look, not the same. He's a, he's a, he's, it's you know, a downy boy. He's from down the road, you know. Yeah. Is he really? Yeah, he's from, like, down the, down the road from us. Not, oh, not even that far. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. But back to the movie, Unforgiven, not the song. Yes. Uh, my I, first, is my first Clint Eastwood movie? I, maybe? I don't know if you watched, like, Hang Em High or nah. I'll Just Wales with nope. Dad. No, nah, not even close. Okay, so yeah, unless my Dirty f- Harry. Nah. Uh, so my first Clint Eastwood movie. Probably, yeah. It's it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Did it didn't blow your socks off? It didn't blow my socks off. It was pretty good though. I would have to come out of the gate saying it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Didn't blow my socks off. It had a lot of things I liked, but I don't. There wasn't that like little extra anything. Like it wasn't very spicy at all. It. I mean, the only things that were really, like, I thought were, like, really good in it was just the acting between the characters, really, between the, the main three characters. Yeah. And maybe, like, the dialogue was pretty good, I thought, even though, like, the ADRing was kind of trash. Really? You like the dialogue? Yeah. You didn't like the dialogue? Um. If I thought I, it was, like, okay. kind of straightforward and, like. It was a little blunt for me. Like, my, here's my thing. Um, I would, I would agree. I think the acting in this is brilliant. Uh, I think Eastwood and Hackman, huge standouts. Um. Hackman played the kid? Uh, no, Gene Hackman played the sheriff, Little Bill. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Sorry, seen... I've, I don't know any I, actors. Like, I barely recognize most, like, really famous actors. Like, I recognize Morgan Freeman and Clean Eastwood, obviously. But of course. Because it's Morgan Freeman and fucking Clean Eastwood. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta recognize him. But yeah, but uh, Gene Hackman, returning from the French Connection. Okay. Um, and I think oh, he's fantastic. Of course, yeah, yeah, true. But um, I thought the cinematography was really pretty. I love Western landscape um, photography, so that's like I thought some like of them were good, but I wasn't like blown away by the landscaping. Maybe, maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention to it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good, but almost like... Like, they weren't really trying. Like, it wasn't, oh, God, what is that movie where they're, um, it's, like, a whole, like, line of, like, monks, and they're on top of, like, a a, a mountain. It's, like, a... A, 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 a Giri Wrath of God. A Giri Wrath yeah, of that, God. Yeah, that's um, a Werner Herzog film, and it's Conquistadors descending from the, like, the Alps of South a- South a- America or something. Now, that shit. Alright, I'm impressed by that shit. Yeah. But, like, this, like, there was a couple that were, like, pretty good, but I am i wasn't blowing my socks off or nothing. Oh, no, it's different in your opinion. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I like the cinematography, I like the imagery, uh, but the dialogue to me, like, the first half blunt. of the movie, oh, it was a little blunt, and some of it felt, I mean, a little bit like I was listening to, um, kind of like 1930s, 40s, like, Western, it's like, 
yeah, you know, mind your dearly departed mother and wife. Like, he... It was well, kind I of felt, weird. I felt like he... Like, it was part of the character there, where he was really, like, trying as the, like... Not the actor, like, trying, like, not Clint Eastwood, like, really trying to, like, play it up or anything like that. Or, but, like, like William doc- Money trying to... Yes, William Money trying to play up the importance of um, the mother to the kids. Like, he, he is trying to make sure that they know, you know? Yeah, um, I, I guess I, I'll, I'll give everybody the rundown of the plot before our, we dive too deep into this. Uh, so, Unforgiven is a revisionist western stars Clint Eastwood as William Money, who, after... 10 years of retirement 11 11 years he gets called out to go on one final assassination to kill two scoundrels who have assaulted a woman of the night in a brothel uh and along the way he picks up his former partner ned and is morgan freeman played by morgan freeman and is led by the schofield kid and it's a story about regrets of uh, vengeance justice and it's age truth age truth and it's um it's a pretty good movie that's yeah, pretty good pretty good movie i out of the gate pretty good movie pretty pretty good i'm not sure if it's deserving of a spot really as i think as we discuss the movie a little bit we're maybe gonna i'll understand more maybe because uh okay where do you want to start because there are a lot of themes in this and i know themes are really important to you like what's the movie? Up, what's the story? Yeah, about? what's it about? And this, it's regret and what is justice? And honestly, I think its biggest thing is looking at the reality of the West and the reality of killing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and death I think plays a huge part in this movie. It is. It is the biggest part of this movie. It is. It is the the theme of the movie. Not that many people die in this movie. No, but, and when they do, it's pretty, it's pretty fucking brutal. Well, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I would say, yeah, it's pretty brutal. There's only three people that actually die in the movie, and it's, it's pretty, oh, I guess there's more than that. There, there's a whole, like, uh, there's a, there's a whole end. bar room that dies at the end of the movie, but we won't get into that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so your thoughts on the themes of the film, you know, death and regret and vengeance and truth and justice. I feel like the American the... way. I'm not sure about about the American way as much. Like, I'm I'm not sure if that's like a really big theme of the movie. It's I, played a little bit with like English I, Bob. I was just making a meme, tr- you know, about truth, justice, the American way. Right. I mean, you can just roll with it if you want. No, I'm no. A, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep that in there. You're gonna keep rolling with it. Uh, yeah, because because fuck English Bob. Yeah, fuck English Bob. But death, I think, is the most important one, and I gotta talk about it because it's the reason why William Money's character is the way he is because mm-hmm. he's had that loss of his like beloved wife, mm. which he, I, I, apparently he held a very high regard, the highest regard, got him to quit drinking, got him to quit killing, got him to settle down and raise I, a couple of kids. Yeah. I also, I have a question. How old is William Money? Probably like 50 in his fifties. Well, probably yeah, around there. All right. Cause it, it might just be a thing because Clint Eastwood is like ninety something, and he still kind of looks like this now. He's not nine. Oh, oh, okay. now, 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 right now, is, currently, yes. he's ninety something. Yes, okay. I thought you were saying the movie. I was like, hold up, Clint Eastwood's not like hundred twenty. Fuck off, <laughs> <laughs> bro. I, I believe in him. He can make it. He probably can. Uh, but it, it's just the thing we're looking at him in this film because I, I. It's really hard for me to gauge how old he is because Morgan Freeman well, has always looked like. 
a older gentleman in his fifties. Morgan Freeman's always looked like he's forty six. Is just a very distinguished like academic professor who is always forty six. Yes, but I I feel like Clint Eastwood is like you know he's like late forties, you know forty eight, maybe like fifty two or something like that. But he's just a rough man. He's he's had one of those lives. Yeah, I mean he has had one of those lives. Well, that's the whole point of his character. So I don't, I don't really get that like the age discrepancy there. Mm-hmm. I mean I get you. I okay for reference. Uh, he was born in 1930. And the movie comes out in 92, so he's 62 in the movie. Or at or 62 s- at the time of the film. At the time of the film, yeah, I can believe that. How he's 62. Holy Look, shit. Looking pretty good for 62. Yeah, looking pretty good for 60. I mean, he looks pretty good for 90, whatever the fuck now. Pretty good at 90 fucking 4. Uh, yeah, we don't need to get out of that story. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, I don't know, because I I think Clint Eastwood has, like, the, the movie star icon, because the Good and the Bad and the Ugly trilogy, uh, or not, the the Dollars trilogy. The Dollars trilogy. Um, He was in, like, all these westerns in the 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang him high. Um, Outlaw Josie Wales, pale drip, pale rider. He he has become kind of synonymous with the western, and this was his final western. He has not done any after it, and this was his cementing on it. The boots he wears in this are from his first western role on Rawhide. Oh, really? Yeah, he kept the same boots and he wore them in this movie to cement that I started in the westerns and I shall end it here with my westerns. So that's, that's pretty nice. I like that. What a nice, what a cool guy. It's yeah. Clint Eastwood guy. But I'm, I'm bringing it up because watching him in this movie, this does feel a little bit like a culmination of all his roles up to this point. And it might be just because I, I just watched the Dollars Trilogy and he references Leone as um, a big influence in his directing style. And he does dedicate the film to him, uh, as well as um, Siegel, another friend of his. And I really feel you could look at this as the unofficial official conclusion of the dollars trilogy or the unofficial conclusion of the eastwood persona of the western yeah i could definitely see that and i i definitely think that it's a uh it's a pretty definite theme of this movie is that it's like the the capstone of this guy's life yeah you know like this after this he's just it it's all gonna just ride out from here you know like this is the last big thing of his life is going out for this one last kill, this one last job. To secure the, the lives of his family and ride off into the sunset. And looking at the looking at the film It feels a little bit like the Wild Bunch be in in the sense of like so the Wild Bunch when we watched it, oh they are at the end of the West and these guys can no longer continue being the wild bunch because the West is over. Yes. This feels like a guy who sees the end of the West coming and he is done. He wants well, to check out. The thing is though, I don't think this is about the end of the West, like directly. It's the end of the West for him. Mm-hmm. Sure. The West doesn't seem dead in this movie. Like, it seems like the West will go on after this. Yeah. But the thing is that the West is dead to him. The West is dead and should have stayed dead to him. His West is done. Yes. It's more of his journey in the West that I think is coming to a close here. Okay. No, you don't agree? You don't see it that way? Um. I, I heard that in your voice. <laughs> well, uh, okay. Okay. 
might, might as well talk about it. Yeah, we might as well talk about it. It's just, uh, I know, I think another big thing of the film that kind of connects to this is the discussion of this as a revisionist Western and how the sure. movie points out the romantization of the Western. True. I hadn't thought about that, but it is, it is rife through this movie. It is, this movie is riddled with references to romantization. Yeah. And the writer character in the film who goes out of his way when he writes about English Bob, he writes it as a fucking Western novel. Oh, he shot him yeah, in the like a comic book. Yeah. And when, um, even when little Bill starts telling him, oh, you know, that's not how it really was. And he starts regaling him with like the war stories, you know, the yeah. shootouts and gunfights. It, it's even, even, um, Bill's the... kind of buying into that mythology of the Western. The only person who doesn't really buy into it is William Money. Is Clint Eastwood, yeah. Yeah, is Clint Eastwood. And the kid too, the, the Schofield kid, mm -hmm. uh, he's totally all about it. He wants to be William Money, and yeah. then at, by the end of the movie, he finds out he can never be him. Yeah, he he really doesn't want to be the, him. He the, doesn't he doesn't understand the price to pay to be one of these Western badasses is unimaginable, way too high. And bringing in that, I think that's another thing with this film. Maybe it's commentating on the West is not nearly as nice and flowery and cool and gunfighty as you imagined like it this is kind of putting the nail on the western word was dirty and hard and people died for grievances or cheating on a card game or what have you yeah and i feel that's what this movie's putting the nail and maybe not like oh the mytho like the mythologized west not only is that over it never existed i see that i that's i, I grant i kind of found my way to that uh, that as i was explaining it you know yeah uh I could agree with that, that it's putting the nail in the mythologized West, not so much as the West and as a whole. Yeah. But as, as a cultural thing. Yeah. It's putting a, it's putting to bed. It's putting to rest the idea of the flowery mythologized, um, heroic West. Yeah. Yeah. There and... weren't a lot of heroes, big, big capital H heroes in the West. There were some guys. Yeah. There was good and bad men. I mean, um, when... There's no Odysseus or Achilles. I, I mean, I think it really points out where we don't have the, like, the traditional, like, idea of the, the standoff, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where, oh, two guys meet in the middle of town and they draw they their guns. high noon. High noon. And when the bell rings noon, they both draw their guns and, phew, and shoot it out. Like, we don't have that. Like, the two killings in this is... Well, the, the, guy the two was, main ones. The two main killings in this is one of them is riding his horse down in a valley and he just gets shot, like, dead from, like, a like quarter mile up a cliffside. And the other guys are like, fuck, well, we, I, I guess he's fucking dead. And the other one is the guy's taking a dump and they just open the door and blast him. Like, they're, basically, they just <laughs> ambush them. They're, they're not very, um... How do you say they're they're not very um, romanticized deaths, you know? They're pretty muddy, pretty dirty deaths. I mean, the one guy dies from like a gut shot, and the other guy dies taking a shit. Yeah, and, and it's a whole thing where you know, like it, it is a realistic interpretation from all like the Western History Channel docs, whatever the fuck. Yeah, if you if you were a bounty hunter or whatever, your job. If it was, oh, this guy, he, you know, robbed a bank or whatever, and he's wanted dead or alive. 
like you would just wait for him to like either fall asleep and you just like pounce him shoot him like four times and drag his ass back into town or while he was playing cards you walk him behind him and shoot him three times like that's pretty much how that worked yeah Yeah. you know you didn't like call the guy out no risks you know it's a yeah it's a job right also i that's how that's how america was once upon a time your job was to hunt was a manhunter chasing outlaws across the plains well what do you mean once upon a time Randy, not a politics podcast. <laughs> Stop it. Stop that. Uh. I like you knew exactly where I was going. ATF, get off my lawn. ATF, get off my lawn. But it it's just one of those things where I think it's a very interesting look at how this movie just brutalizes the mythology of the West. Oh, while yeah. still using like all the iconography. Like all those landscape shots, the reminiscent of John Ford films. I am... Um, like George Stevens westerns, um, Howard Hawks westerns, they're very reminiscent of like big grandiose landscaping, mm-hmm. and it's 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 just a fascinating way to look at the movie, I guess through that lens. Yeah, that is one way to look at the movie. Another way to look at the movie is um, truth and lying. Yeah, and how lying doesn't get you nowhere. <laughs> eh, I I, I kind of want to know what you mean about that. Well, where, where are you drawing that? So from? basically, the the fact that like lying doesn't get you anywhere comes from the women lying to the cowboys about what had been done to uh what's her name uh, uh the the gal delilah 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 yeah delilah 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 hey there delilah what what's it like in big whiskey yeah. for them kind of like lying romanticizing what had been done to delilah and then also, them probably taking that and then romanticizing it again when they get back to Texas or wherever. Yeah, or, or exaggerating it, be, conflating it to something yeah. that wasn't. Because I think at the because beginning of the movie and we see what happens, right? She just gets she gets um, cut up by a drunk asshole. Also, the another thing about lying is the kid. Mm-hmm. He all he does is lie throughout the whole movie until the very end. Yeah. He's trying to conflate himself to be, you know, the Schofield kid, badass motherfucker, and he he ain't. And uh, how do you say Clint Eastwood's character never lies? No, he does. You know, they ask him about the uh, when little Bill comes in, ask him about the gun. He tells him he don't have a gun on him. Mm, no, that's true. No, you're true. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right there. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get what you're what you're going for because the. But he does get punished right afterwards, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he gets the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, all lies will be punished. But he, he, here's what I wanted to get at. Um, I think that the whole thing about the truth and the conflation and and all that, I think it really stems from the initial scene where Delilah, she's assaulted, and they call the sheriff, and the ladies want these guys, you know, fucking killed, right? Yeah. Because they, they cut up this, they cut up Delilah, and she's, you know, going to be out of a job, she can't be a whore no more, uh, all these other things. And little Bill's like, well, how about both y'all bring in combined five horses, five no, ponies. seven horses. Seven, seven horses. That's bring, a lot of fucking horses. That is a lot of horses. Bring in seven horses, we call it squares, and go on your way, right? And I think it's uh, Liz, is that the, the main girl's name, or the main... Uh, main leader's name all right one second was alice yeah so alice alice is the main main girl that runs the the brothel with uh she runs the billiards room she runs the billiards room 
And she's like, nah, you could kill both them boys for what they done. And little Bill's like, ain't no one got fucking kills. So we're just gonna have him bring in seven ponies. We're called squaresies. And then and Skinny, who owns the horse, <laughs> own, owns them, yes, is like, eh, fuck it, I'll take it. And they don't get whipped. They don't. They don't ha- give a any physical retribution. Retribution. But they do, in accordance with Bill, who is quote unquote the law here. They they abide by the law and they pay their fine and they go on. Yeah, after way. the thaw, they come back. They pay with their horses and they bring an extra horse specifically to give to Delilah, the yeah. lady that they cut up. And so it shows like you know they're guilty. They give it yada yada. In the eyes of the justice system, according to this movie, it has been it has been laid out. And then Alice and with the girls combine their money and they put a thousand dollar bounty on these two guys. And then they decide to take justice into their own hands. Yes. Which only leads to more death and more violence. Do you like what do you think of that? Where these um women decide to take justice into their own hands and go beyond the law to seek justice. Is is the is there so much a difference between justice and revenge here? No, that because I'm trying to think like that relating to the end scene. Mm. You know, like how that how it all relates in the movie. Because you can, you know, is the only justice the justice under the law, or is there a true justice? A oh, justice. God. Well, no, but that's that's the. <laughs> oh point no, no here, I'm not though. saying. Oh God is like. Oh, this is like it's that conversation. It's like no. Oh God, it's like oh I've realized we we now have to address this. Well, I mean, it's part of the movie here. What what do you think the movie is saying about that? Is it saying that the only, like, you should leave it to the law to decide these things? Or is there a justice beyond the law? Do, is, um, is Clint Eastwood's character right in getting justice for Ned? Uh, I mean, that... Is it deserved justice? That gets into a very interesting realm, I guess, with the film... Is is it saying that justice is gray? Is is little Bill evil? Well, a little bit, Bill. I'm not sure if he's evil, but he's not a good. He's not. He's mm, he's looking out for him and like for the town, right? For big whiskey for big whiskey. He really most western name ever heard. Yeah, amazing name, big whiskey, Wyoming. Um, he's looking for out for him and his type of thing. So. In his eyes, he's dealing out justice. These people were coming into his town and causing trouble. Yeah. But the thing is that he he doesn't want to take responsibility for the things that like Alice and them have done for bringing these like killers, killers, and assassins and stuff into town. Into his town, like he doesn't have any sympathy for them, even though in their eyes they're not doing anything wrong. Yeah, they're they're. Like, English well, Bob, like, he he was coming to kill a man that he thought had, you know, like, gutted a woman or some shit. I, I guess that gets like, into another thing, because they're they're not bounty hunters. Because this isn't really a bounty, it's it's basically a hit. Yeah. You know, they're they're assassins. So, they, so they're going outside the law to it seek is outside justice. The law. So, man, that gets into, a, into an interesting thing where it's, uh... I guess what what really are the bounds between you know vengeance and justice, you know what where is that line here? Because what Bill, according to the law, he dealt out justice, but what um, money is doing is 
vengeance. But to Alice and the girls, it's it's like he is dealing out as much justice as Bill is, even more so. Yeah. So who do you side with there? Um. Who are you, who? Okay, so let's let's say that money didn't shoot up the whole fucking saloon and just shot Skinny and Bill. Would that have been justice and just left? Uh Well, okay. Because I'll err on the side of this. They did Delilah didn't die. Delilah didn't die. She she was assaulted with a knife, but she lived and her face, you know, a lot of like a couple of scars, but she lives. They're, they probably shouldn't have gone off as light as they did, but I, I don't think they being shot in, in the shitter and shot in the stomach and just left to bleed out for probably hours. I don't think those were, those may have been a step beyond justice. A step, a step over justice. Yeah. I mean, when the beginning, he was like, Hey, we'll just bull whip the shit out of both of them and call that squaresies. And that was probably a little bit more along the lines of like one-to-one here you know they both will bear scars forever but that's like a whole thing but alice where, wasn't know, satisfied yeah alice wasn't satisfied but it seemed like delilah was satisfied yeah it seems like at several points through this movie delilah the one who's you know the the one who it matters to the most who should be like asked you know is this justice because it is specifically done to her when they come back with the horses and they're going to give one to Delilah, it almost seems like she's okay with it. Like, she's she's almost, like, over it. Yeah. She she seems squared. She's like, all right, It almost seems like over. she was kind of sad to see, like, the horse go. That was her horse. Yeah. That Alice chased off. Uh, also, I want to make a point about this, because this is something that people tend to conflate about the Western, is everyone had a horse and, you know, everyone roamed the plains. Horses were like cars. And back in the wild, wild western days, not everyone had a car. Not everyone had horses. Horses were incredibly valuable. Like, they... That's why people stole horses. Yes. That shit ain't cheap. And they're just like, oh, you're gonna give her a mangy goddamn pony? And I'm like, bitch, that pony is probably... She could probably sell that for like a $100. And that's $100 in 1880s money. That's some good fucking money. That's some decent fucking money. Or or nothing else. She has a fucking horse. That a horse. Those are valuable. So I I don't know. That that's the, like one thing that just annoys me in these where people are like I don't need that no goddamn horse running out of well, town. You can also see that is taking Alice. Alice is taking the situation to her own hands. She's deciding what she thinks is just and what is unjust. And she ignores and she, Delilah. And she's ignoring Delilah. No, Nobody really talks to Delilah about what she wants. Almost at all. Yeah. Like, even when she's cut up, she's in bandages, and they're talking about getting the bounty hunters for Delilah, she doesn't say anything about this. She doesn't press it at all. She just lays there as she's, like, recovering. She doesn't ask them, oh, please, could you murderize these hoes? For what they've done to me. She doesn't say anything like that. She doesn't say a word when they run out the the horse from town. I mean, she, even when she's talking to Ned, she seems almost ambivalent. Like, this is what it is. This is what it is. Like, she doesn't much 
care what's what's gonna happen to the two cowboys i mean even she even didn't expect them to actually kill the first cowboy when he shows up dead to the to the town to the yeah. town she's like well i didn't think they would actually do it and that's another thing i feel none of them actually thought those guys were gonna die even alice and all of them looked shocked by it where oh oh the we thing caused this we we killed this man inadvertent like not directly but we caused his death yeah and that that brings in the whole death motif of the movie too is that it weighs on all of these people differently yeah alice didn't directly kill this man she didn't pull the trigger but she caused his death she she set up a situation where william money came back you know judge holden of the the spirit of the west came and started laying justice also, I wanted to point out that it is well is Judge Holden from Blood Meridian. Is he just based off of William Money from? from Bruh, this movie? I ain't read the book in either of you. I've read most of it. Hey. Nah, nah, dog, nah, okay. dog. You said you read Cervantes, fucking Don Quixote. I found your bookmark fifty pages in. I want to hear it. That's a long fucking book, dog. Eat a dick. <laughs> you said you read it. I did read it. I just didn't finish it. Okay, Making a point dude. there. But I, I don't know. It's just. Uh, I see a lot of other characters from, like, the 90s into the 2000s that are reminiscent of Clint Eastwood's character here. Yes, I, I feel the same way. That that kind of, like, you know, he's an old badass who's retired and, you know, he's coming back for one last run. Isn't that literally that movie Red with, like, Bruce Willis and Morgan Freeman and John Malkovich? I mean, isn't that also, like, Taken? That, yes. Also, that's, like, um john wick it's also like yeah okay all right influence established all right we've established some influence here (laughs) (laughs) but um but back to i guess to the death uh motif here motifi here uh yeah i i really think regret is a big one the regrets of of deaths you've caused i feel like william money his whole thing is that he's he regrets so much but the difference between him and like the kid and all the everyone else is like the kid regrets the death he has caused and he he can never stomach doing it again bill i don't think has any regrets for the deaths he has caused no because he feels them all justified whereas william money as or clint eastwood he feels you know these were not justify killings these were done uh, by a drunken angry man and now i am and now i have to reckon with all these things that i have done but he's really good at killing people really really good at killing people all he says he's only lucky though you think he's just lucky i mean there's a difference between luck and skill and i also one of the one of the best scenes in this movie that pays off beautifully at the climax is when little bill is telling the writer what it actually takes to, you know, you know, kill a man, right? You know, you don't have to be the fastest on the draw. What you got to do is you have to be the one who's who's the most comfortable, the most level-headed, because you'll actually be able to take your time, aim, and, you know, shoot the man down, you know? And at the end of the movie, we have the shootout in the saloon, and everybody's, like, pulling their guns out, and it's all fast, quick draws, and they're firing off everywhere. And Money, or Clint Eastwood, he just drops the knee and just shoots them all down slow, methodical he knows where every bullet's going yeah he doesn't just like fan the thing and it's like bam 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 
You know, it's it's not that quick. Yeah, and because he's so calm, because he is in his element. You know, he is... He even, when his gun jams too, when the, the shotgun, the double barrel, it jams, it misfires, he's still calm enough to realize what he can do with it. Throws it, throws it at little Bill, gets him enough time to drop down, pull his revolver out, and drop like six dudes in succession. And I think that's the whole thing of his character is he's trying to be this farmer, he's trying to be this honest man, he's trying to be a man of the law, but really he is the most calm, the most comfortable, the, the most in control when he is surrounded by death. You know, he when he, you know, hands out his, his justice, he is there yeah he he's calm collected um but i'm I'm pretty sure that he he regrets doing that you know he 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 how do you say he hates the fact that that's when he's calmest when he's most in his element you know it's it kind of relates back to when he's in like the pig pit and he's falling over trying to chase the pigs around and whatnot it's not it's not for him you know he he's trying to be this person that you know, is being, it's really tough to be for him because Mm. of the life he's lived because of what he's actually really good at is not this. I mean, that comes up in, um, other films we've watched so far, wild bunch, first casting the Sundance kid, where they make the comments in those movies of, man, what if we just, you know, ride off, become farmers, you know, just leave the, the outlaw and behind. And William money shows what happens when guys like that leave the outlaw and behind to become farmers. Yeah, all's pigs got the fever. <laughs> all's pigs got the fever. Chickens run amok, you know. Oh, I can't turn a fucking dime on this goddamn farm. And it's it's also a whole thing where the whole movie builds up to that. When we finally see what this guy can actually do. Because it's so built through the entire film. It's a great build up to this. Because we see him be go from basically being this kind of crotchety old man, can't really ride a horse no more can't really, he can't shoot very well can't really shoot very well you know he doesn't drink he is the antithesis of the westernized badass and by the end of the movie he becomes the the man with no name mm-hmm. you know and we in that moment realize this has been built up organically and we understand how the guy at the beginning of the film and the guy at the end of the film are one and the same yeah and they were only only a, a couple glasses of whiskey away like a half a bottle half a bottle which congrats on the guys in this movie just pounding down bottles of whiskey and not being pissed themselves drunk (laughs) oh my god well they probably would be in about 10 minutes once it hits them i i guess but the way the schofield kid is pounding back that bottle of whiskey just taking belts after belts like do you mean when they're riding into town or at the very end at the very end like he when he gets up and starts talking to to um clean eastwood about oh don't worry i'm gonna take the stuff back here you'll be well don't worry uh, hasn't hit him yet it'll hit him about two seconds later <laughs> it'll hit him as soon as he's off camera yeah exactly as soon as he's off camera he's gonna go oh shit <laughs> this is old west whiskey that shit probably is 90 percent gasoline oh no you know what maybe it's just like cut real down because it's old west whiskey you gotta make that shit less no nah, no nah, dude that's honey and kerosene all right okay that's, that's the old shit the old that, shit. that's prospector whiskey all right, well, the, the themes of this movie run deep. What, what else yeah. can we talk about it? Um, I, We did touch on the performances already, and Clint Eastwood is, is there. Well, um, th- so, Clint Eastwood, good performance. Great even, yeah. I think the Schofield kid 
even though it's like usually something I would like a performance I wouldn't like. I think he does it well. He he really that type of in. character. Yeah, I believe that's uh, Schofield kid is played by Jaime's Wolf Wolvet James Wolvet Wolvet. Okay, sorry. He has like his French pronunciation of his first name, and it's weird. <laughs> But bro, his name's just James, dog. <laughs> bro, you see the quotation marks with the Z. Yeah, goddamn Canadians. Is it Canadian? Yeah, it says right there, Canadian. All right, good. All right. Read the read the read the text. But yeah, so I I really like him in the movie. He he is playing a character that in any other western you would want out of the movie as soon as possible. Oh God, yes. This, but he kind of gets redeemed at the end where he realizes that. All these things he wanted to do, this whole person he's been up to this point, is a lie. It's not what he really wants to be. Yeah. When basically all the lies he's been telling finally come to roost. You know? And I think... I think that's the good part about it. Because in a lesser movie, he would have been Billy Badass and would have just died at the end. And then, you know, that would have just rallied uh, Clint Eastwood even more to go after uh, oh, Little Bill. Yeah. In a lesser movie, that's what would have happened. But in this, it's like, yeah, of course the kid's full of shit. He's raised on the mythologized West. You know, his uncle tells him the stories of, oh, William Money and Ned and you know, all the shootouts and all the, the crazy, you know, um, uh, fights they get into, right? And he's like, I want to be like that. And yeah. then at the end, he realizes, you know, the cost. But, um, not I, only... I like Skinny, too. I thought Skinny, the actor for Skinny was pretty good. He's... Well, I've seen him in another movie. Oh, um, Anthony James. He's a character actor. He worked in a bunch of fucking stuff. There's something. He seems so familiar from something, but I don't know what it is. In the Heat of the Night. He was in the in the Heat oh, of the Night. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was Ralph in the Heat of the Night. I think Ralph... Was Ralph the guy that killed him? He Was, was he the killer? In the heat of the night? No, wasn't... Yeah, Ralph was the killer. Yeah, he was the guy that worked at the at the diner. Oh, motherfucker! Oh, all right! Yeah. <laughs> Joe, look at that. He's in more than one movie. It's, it's coming back around. It's, it's all back. it's all connected, boys. I knew I saw him somewhere else. He, he looked familiar, but, like, I guess, you know, this is 20, 30 years down the road, right? So I'm like, it, it it's weird to see it, but I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes, it makes sense. It makes sense. Now, how do you feel about his... Ralph's character... Or you mean Skinny's character? Yeah, or Skinny. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. Well, what's his? What's Anthony James? Well, how do you feel about his character? How about Skinny? Uh, honestly, about the way he acts about about the women. Oh, okay. Well, I think he's a shitty human being. He's basically a legalized slave driver. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mm, I don't like his. I don't like his character because of how cruel he is and how kind of ambivalent he is. He sees these women as property and not as people. And but he's, he's trying to protect them. Yeah, well, he's trying to protect his investment. That's what he's protecting. He's not protecting the people. As long as their, their bits work, I don't really think he cares all that much of how they're doing. And that, I think that's I the thing. I mean, don't be like, when Clint Eastwood shoots him at the end... Do I think, oh, is that like, oh, fuck yeah, fuck that guy. I was more like, oh, why the fuck did he, oh, oh yeah, 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 he was complacent and stringing Ned up in the front of the fucking mm-hmm. saloon. Okay, I get that, but, yeah, yeah, he just seemed like a shitty western dude. 
I did think he was a great performance. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good. I thought he portrayed his character well of kind of being like Bill, where he's just trying to protect him and his. He is abiding by the, the law, quote-unquote, whatever that is in, in Big Whiskey. You know That's... what? You said... Alright, uh, this, this is a little tangent, but you said something that kind of... Um, like made me think about something that the film didn't really touch on. Um, nobody ever mentioned that. Uh, this is the 1880s. Yeah. Nobody ever mentioned that uh, Morgan Freeman's black. Okay, I wanted to mention that. All right, because I am so confused by by that whole thing. The thing for though, historical context. Well, the thing though is that they kind of, sort of touch on race in the movie. Because the Schofield kid mentions that he killed the Mexican. Yeah. But he didn't actually kill him. He hit him with a shovel. Yes. And then um, Ned, played by Morgan Freeman, mentions how his wife or the, his girlfriend or the, the woman he's living with um, is an engine. Yeah, Native American. Yeah. And it, well, not 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 Native American. He doesn't say Native American. He does not. He says engine. He yeah, says, I understand. Yeah, but I'm saying like, but but no, nobody, not not a one person mentions. Morgan Freeman's black. Yeah? Is... Okay. I'm not sure if that's, like, just on me being, like, you know, I... Like, because... I thought that, like, maybe, like, they would just smooth it over, but then they mentioned Sally, Sally Two Trees, you know, in, in a very... In, like, a racial context. And I was like, oh, okay, so the movie's gonna, like, touch on that later. They just don't. I... Okay. Because I'm curious a little bit about that for a number of reasons... Mostly because, like, in context, this is 1880, Civil War ended in 1860-something. Mm-hmm. So, what... Well, also, Wyoming's, like, a north state. It's true, it's true. And, but they're going through, like, from Kansas, and, like, I think some... They said something about run through, like, Texas and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I'm... I am a little curious, because... Was... Do you think that Morgan Freeman's character, Ned Logan, was he written as a african-american i mean because okay because i don't i honestly don't think so yeah. i think they were they he was just he's probably just written as another cowboy another another clint eastwood white dude and they were just like you know you we can't turn down more it's morgan fucking freeman like he he's literally like the best guy that showed the fuck up like let's be honest here people and clint eastwood was like nah fuck it i just won't rewrite it at all there's no reason to which, it's, it's maybe what? maybe if this is like one of those things of like you know colorblind casting actually shining through yeah i mean morgan freeman's character ned logan is a really good character like mm-hmm. a lot of people give credence to clint eastwood and and gene hackman because oh clint eastwood has like the most meat to work with in the fucking script and gene hackman has the most like flashy scenes and he's the villain he gets to chew on all the scenery but Morgan Freeman has a really subtle performance, and he's he really does. good at at kind of being the version of Clint Eastwood's character that's able to live the life after the deaths of his past and actually changing. Because Clint Eastwood's William True. Money, I don't think he's actually changed. He's he's. Trying to he wants to have changed that. That's why him telling his kids when he leaves about his about the the mother or whatever about his wife. That's why I liked that dialogue. 
because he's not just telling the kids, he's telling himself. He's I, trying to convince himself. I, I get, Okay, you sold me on the opening. You sold me on the dialogue. You sold me on the dialogue. It does actually come in and it does play into the character. But the other thing is, Money, he is still the killer. He's still he's the killer. trying to walk the, the path of the righteous man. Ned, I think he thinks he can still be the killer. But then we see in the movie that, no, he has actually become the righteous man. Yeah, Ned actually cannot go back to the life. Well, money definitely could. Yeah. Because it, no qualms it, about it, it really. It all plays out when they cut when they find the first cowboy. Yeah, and and Ned's, Ned shoots the horse. He's and then he still can't the best shot. The job. He's still the best shot and then mm-hmm. he just can't do it. He can't finish the job on the on the cowboy and then you know, money does. Clint Eastwood does. Yeah. In the most brutal way, you know, shoot them in the gut and you're just waiting for him to bleed out. And, and then he, you know, rides off. And I, I really think Morgan Freeman get may get short end of the stick here. And I do understand. He it's doesn't a even little, die on screen. He doesn't, which is some bullshit. You know, also, what another thing. Because they have him, like, tied up against the cage and they're, like, whipping him on his back, right? You know, it's the bull whip, And, you know, we all have the, um I guess, the connotations of, oh, Morgan Freeman, African-American man, getting whipped by a white sheriff in, a, in like, the Old West town. You would think yeah, the, the N-word is on the horizon <laughs> of this scene. You're like, that shit is barreling towards this movie at 100 miles an hour. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. <laughs> so, like, and honestly, it's a thing where, oh, you know, oh, you're mad because the movie's not, you know, buying into blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's just kind of weird in a in a old school, like, Western context where it's, everything else is shown to be kind of pretty realistic. No one ever, like addresses this or like throws a slur i think at this point was racism over in 1880s did it come back in racism was ended it was ended in the 1880s it was only until griffith came that it came back in search but it's just i think i think it's more that it was it's unnecessary it's gratuitous to the the story of the film it's not needed I mean, there's plenty of explanations for it, but I think the, the Occam's razor here is that it just wasn't needed. It wasn't required for the story. Yeah, that which it, it makes it pretty apparent that Eastwood knew the story he was telling, and he knew what he needed and what he didn't need. And yeah, it really it, shows the power of him as a director. It would kind of take away from the story, almost. It would make the story of the movie less about the characters and more about the care what the characters look like you know yeah it matters more what ned's character is about him as a person rather than what other people see of him you you, you see what i'm throwing down i'm, I'm picking up what you're throwing down it's more up. him on the inside than the what other people see of him so i think it i think it was actually maybe a good choice a great choice even by clint eastwood to just not mention it at all Hmm. it's not a part of his character that's important type thing okay do you which i kind of i kind of give him a lot of credit for that because it's low-hanging fruit for that's a lot an of other easy people. bite right that's a easy bite for a lot of people you think this is this is a well-written script right i believe so i believe it is there's maybe some polishing that could have been done but i um we all know how clean eastwood makes his movies that man does not go over with two coats of polish. <laughs> yeah, you know. But, well, I wanted to bring up the script real quick. This is just a little, like, side bit, right? Okay. Because it's written by uh, David Webb David Web Peoples. You know what else he wrote? What? He co-wrote Blade Runner. Did he really? Uh, yes, yes. And also, uh, fun fact, 
Um, he gave this script to Clint Eastwood in about 1976, and he didn't read it for like 10 years. Fucking what a lad. What a guy. Yeah, and then when he finally got around to it, he's like, yeah, okay, it's like 91. All right, I'll shoot it. It's fine. But yeah, so this this movie originally probably could have been made in the 80s, right? Are you reading, like, the production thing oh, on the table? Yeah, I'm reading that. Did they... Hold up. Hold the fuck. Oh, wait. The... Wait, what? Okay, I thought for a second there, I thought it read as if the writer was English Bob. But no, it was, it was just... It was just Harris was English Bob. Richard Harris. Yes. For, like, but... I was like kind of skimming it, right? And I just totally went over that part, and I was like, "Wait, no, he's not—he's not English Bob. What the fuck is saying saying?" <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We have like the the like the page the up, the page. wiki up for this, so we can like look at it for reference. But um, yeah, I just I just wanted to point out, you know, oh, the same guy that wrote Blade Runner wrote this movie. Oh, Randy loves Blade Runner. I do like Blade Runner. It's a pretty good movie. It's everything but the voiceover is pretty well written in that movie. Yeah. Voiceover's terrible. It Blame was... the voiceover on the producers, not the writers. I know, but the voiceover was like really bad so much to where it's good. Alright? <laughs> it's like so bad it's good. Oh. And an otherwise movie that's so good, it's good. Yes. But I just I just wanted to point this out because, bro, like he I came up with this movie in like 76, right? And he gave it to Eastwood in the 1980s, and it took Eastwood like 10 years to actually get around to it. Mm-hmm. Do you think this movie would have been a whole different thing if Eastwood didn't have that age to go with it you know that kind of like retrospect because he's you know 60 something in this movie right this is a guy that's already lived a a full life as it were and now he's in his 90s right i think it's more of with the age came the ability to be like you know what i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna put an end to my westerns you know Mm. maybe if this wasn't his last western we would have maybe seen him go for more low-hanging fruit Go for more of a pop, you know, yeah. and not make such a, like a such a themed movie, such a a well directed movie. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, I'm not saying like the actual direction in the movie, but like the, I I mean it it did win best director. Did it actually? And best picture, and and best supporting actor for Gene Hackman. Did and, it really? Yeah, it was all. Also, he was nominated for best actor for this, but he lost to Pacino for *Scent of a Woman*. Wow. Yes. But I'm just, I'm saying not necessarily in the like actual like movie direction, but in the direction as most people mean it of the movie. Yeah, where it's going. Yeah, where, it where it's going, where it leads with its themes and the things it wants to talk about and be about. Yeah. I I think the age gave it that ability. That's why we don't see like. The low-hanging fruit and what... Because, like, Clint Eastwood, he's not afraid to talk about race in his movies. No, he made a whole... Gran Turismo basically about that. Yeah. And so he's he's not afraid to talk about it. I think it's one of those, one of those things where it just wasn't necessary. But what is necessary, Randy, is where it is on the list. Because at the beginning, well, you did uh, most there Is there anything else we want to talk about? I, I kind of want to double back for one second. Is you want to double any, back for one more. Is there right. anything else we want to talk about? Um, Okay, okay. I like the cinematography. You were iffy-iffy on it. I was kind of whatever about it. Uh, looking at the film, I think how the film shoots its landscapes and invoking the 
iconography of the Western, I feel it's doing that for the sole purpose of tearing it down as the film goes on. I think the cinematography is very vital in how the story is being told and expressing its themes. The the open plains and the desolate wastelands in certain sections where it's just these guys transposed into the horizon. There's nothing around them. They are the lone writers left. You know, the lone killers left of the West. I feel it's vital in telling the story of this film. Do you see it the same way I do? Or am I, I pulling I, shit out of nowhere? I don't see it exactly the same way you do, but that's because I haven't... The only Westerns I've watched are The Wild Bunch and Butch, Butch Cassidy. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I haven't watched The Dollars Trilogy. I haven't watched, like, the heart of the Western. You know, I've watched, like, the end of the Westerns. Yeah. You... Mm. I I get it. I get it. It's, but like I I can see where you're coming from, but I can't see it with your eyes. I understand. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You see what I'm saying? See, see what I'm saying there? Um, another thing I wanted to talk about before we got to the very end of this is the writer character. Yeah. How do you think he is as like an addition to this movie? Vital. You think uh, he's vital? Vital in in terms of this film, talking about the romanticization of death. You know, because he writes the the killings of two pistols, whatever, as this like, oh, it's this oh, epic gun, two guns, conky, two guns, concord, or whatever, Con- yeah, something yeah, like that. big dick bill, you know, and it's just like, oh, you know, it's this sick gunfight, you know, you'd see play out in a in in the Dollars trilogy, you know, oh, they draw their guns, guns blast, and hot lead tearing through flesh, and then we see basically the reality of what he wrote play out at the end and he is enamored by it right he is like oh this death and destruction oh this was so exciting and exhilarating and then clint eastwood confronts him about this is not exhilarating these are men's lives that i have ended i will end your life as well because i am not a man of honor i'm not a character in a book i am a killer and I think that is a vital point of this movie in deconstructing the mythology of the West. Now, do you feel like um, Clint Eastwood uses that character as almost like a way to confront the audience in the film? I would say so. Or do you think he's so. more talking about not so much the people that are watching this film, but the people that are romanticizing the West through other films? Do you, or do you think he doesn't make a distinction there? Mm, I mm, I would say he is addressing the audience that comes in with expectations of what this film is. Okay. They're coming in with the expectation that this is going to be the good and the bad, the ugly, or uh, Josie Wales, or High, Pla- or High Plains Drifter. This is going to be a Clint Eastwood shoot 'em up, you know, action western film, where it's not. It's a really slow drama about this guy confronting death and the end of his life and he and the writer character is used to basically tell the audience this is what you were expecting this romanticized action thing and this is what you're getting is the reality and the reality is we reach the end of our lives and it is filled with regrets for the the wrongs we have done yeah and the only difference between you and money is money is confronting those wrongs you know, and that's, and I think that's the reason why that character is so vital to the narrative and for the themes. 
You're right. You're right. I, I, I want that on the checkerboard. <laughs> he said I'm right. You, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm, I want that click on the board. I had something else I want to talk about, but it just escaped me. But you know what's not you, you, went, you went on like six words too long and for I, that. That's and is, the best mm. part. That is why I'm so good at this. <laughs> I talk just long enough to dominate. <laughs> for me to go, man, I had something for that. I had, I had a follow-up for that, but it's it long gone now. No worries. Well, I, I guess let's get to it then. The final question. Get on with it. Let's get on with it, Grimith R. Is he no, not, he, what movie is that from? What? Get on with it. Get, get on, on with it. it. Uh, oh, that's from um, is it Monty Python? Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Which, mm-hmm. damn it, it's English. It can't be on this list. It should be on the BFI though. It should be on the BFI. Put that fog on the site and Yeah, Sam. why? Why isn't Monty Python on the BFI? I don't think there's many comedies on there that aren't like Chaplin. Actually, I... Chaplin's so overrated. <laughs> Randy's like, put some Brooks up there. Come on now. No. Actually, I don't think there's no, any. No, no, I don't Brooks think there's either. any Marx Brothers on the BFI. I actually, I would have to check. I, I don't think there are. Nah, put Monty Python and the Holy Grail on the uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail above all these people. Yeah, that that movie is like one of the funniest films ever made. It's fucking hilarious. It's so, so good. I love it. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like that in Airplane. If we're talking about like absurdist comedies, you know, I haven't seen Airplane in forever. How long is Airplane? Ninety minutes, tight ninety. Want to catch it after this? Fuck no. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll you gotta tell you... keep that in too. Me going. Fuck no. no I'll keep it in. I'll keep it in. But I will say this: like night, like like airplane still holds up. I think it's still fucking funny. But you know what? You know what else is a good comedy though? In the line of these comedies, uh huh. Stanley Kubrick's. Oh, Doc- oh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange Love. Also, a really good comedy. So good. And that movie's like a, like kind of a smart comedy where you can like watch it and it's like eh, not like laughing my ass off but it's like every part you're like oh, oh you got the, you got this little smile going <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay, you got okay. a sensible chuckle yeah but um this movie afi we're finally getting to it. originally it was on nine on number 98 you Oof, know for the original low. original now it's number 68 what wow, what the fuck 30 points 30 whole points 30 points is that That's quite the mover which... I'm thinking maybe in the middle there. Maybe a whole, mm, like, not quite that level. All right, bring it back down a little bit. Like, it's good. Mm-hmm. It does what it... it like, this feels like a movie that could be switched off for something else. Well, here's the thing. I feel like we could drop the Wild Bunch and keep this. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Sam Peckinpah films, like, push the boundaries of you know, violence and cinema and all that stuff. I, yeah, The Wild Bunch is probably not his best film. I think Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia is the one that everyone... Says should be on. Says should be on. Um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is a really good Western, strong Western. I like it. I like no, it a no, lot. I like it a lot, too. I'd like, it's a good wa- movie. I'd probably watch Butch Cassidy again before I'd watch Unforgiven again. Yeah. But it's my... Here's my thing. I feel Wild Bunch... Butch Cassidy, Unforgiven, because they're the three westerns we've watched so far, and they bear, you know, discussion. I feel like all three of them could be switched with something else, you know? You think, but all at the same time? Like, we could just drop the these three westerns off the list entirely? Mm, all three of them? Do you think two could go, but one could stay? Yeah, maybe two can go, one could stay. My whole thing is looking at these, and I'm like... I understand why 
these films are on here, right? I, I understand in context and like their influence and what they're doing. I understand that. But eventually we're going to get to the point where we're going to reach either the halfway point, the end of the list, whatever, where we're going to have to cull the films. We're going to have to like chop some films off of here. And all of these are like, I don't, I feel Unforgiven's not Eastwood's best. Probably not. I mean, I haven't seen any other Eastwood movies, but I mean, I can't see him being this prolific of a director. He's dire- he's made a lot of movies. A lot of fucking movies. So as I an actor and a director, and he is a- an icon. I I can't see this as being his best film. There's got to be something better. Yeah, and the other thing is, if we're looking for a film that is giant influence, has American money, all this other stuff, I'm like, there's got to be other films. I mean. I don't think the like the Dollars trilogy is Italian, but I'm pretty sure Good and the Bad and the Ugly was made with American fucking money. And if Lawrence <laughs> of Arabia is on this fucking list, then Good and the Bad and the Ugly should be on this fucking list. True, if they can find a way to get it on the hats too. Yeah, so I I don't know. I do think Unforgiven, if it you know, if we're arguing where all these are on here, it's on the list. Like it's a good film. It's a very good film. And I do think it gives you a lot of chew and thought about how we represented the West for so long. And how this kind of commentates on romanticizing it and how, you know... The, do, you, yeah. do you think that we need a romanticized Western to foil Unforgiven on the list? Oh, we have them. Well, I think I think we have plenty of them. I mean, we used to have Stagecoach on here. We have The Searchers coming up. That Much higher. We have High Noon. We have Shane. Those are like classic Westerns from the okay. 50s, okay. 40s. Yeah, those are a lot more in line with a classical like interpretation of a Western so, film. So... Okay, another thing too is Unforgiven and um, The Wild Bunch are both kind of opposing westerns. Mm-hmm. Like they're not opposing each other, but they're opposing westerns as a genre. Yeah, because they're they're very critical about the violence in the movies, about death. Yes, both of them are. Do you think because they're so similar in that way that we could drop one and keep the other? Yeah, the only the essence of the movies are pretty similar but like the way they're made and the story that plays out isn't yeah my only thing is the wild bunch for the time it came out pushed the boundaries of censorship and was a really revolutionary action film true and, like unforgiven had like 30 years on that yeah had like 30 years on it and, like 20 right uh, when, when Unfor- unforgiven came out in 92, 92 i think wild bunch came out in 68 69 Okay, so it had like 20 plus years. Sure. 30? No, 20 plus years. 20 plus years. Yeah, 20 plus years. So I'm like, okay. Because in context, like, cutting the Wild Bunch out seems disingenuous. But it makes sense if we just say, all right, a lot of movies push the medium forward, but we, which are the best films. And I think that's a thing that muddies certain picks on the list. You know, true, true. Um, it's like bring a baby, modern times, swing times, where or they are on the list because of what they're representing, and not so much of their pure quality as pieces of art. Yeah, right? I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So, Unforgiven, I feel as a piece of of art and of cinema and of its themes, I think holds enough weight to hold on the list. But at this high, I am a little surprised i'm a little suspect too you know also this is kind of souring my opinion of wild bunch as well 
The Wild Bunch, when we watched it, we really enjoyed it. And is this just the movie where every Western that comes after it just kind of ticks it down little by little? Well, I think it's kind of pulling both of them down, Unforgiven and the uh, Wild Bunch. Because in my eyes, they're so weirdly similar that it's kind of pulling them both down. I'm like, ah, it's not really like that crazy. Look, there's two movies that are so alike, you know? It's, it's they don't they they lost that uniqueness factor to me. Yeah, I mean, which is kind of it's really unfortunate to say that about these movies. Yeah, because they are. I think they're unique films. Like just because they're borrowing of death and regret, like from each other, like those are eternal themes of of the human condition. You know, but it is a thing where they're both telling it in the guise of westerns, and they're both hammering in on these themes and yeah they're two themes in a big huge pot but yeah they do draw parallels so uh, i I don't know it's just the way i feel yeah and i mean the film is something that's a pretty pretty subjective pretty suggestive pretty personal i would say to people Mm. you know some people can connect very differently with films than other people yeah and i'm just saying that in my opinion for, to me, they're kind of pulling each other down because it, because I'm just a huge themes guy. Yeah. And they have de- decently similar themes, although they kind of separate in a way where one's talking about like the violence as it um, occurs. As it occurs and how it influences the people directly around it for like years to come, right? With like the kids and whatnot. Mm. While in this one, it's more how the violence influenced the people that grew out of it. Yeah. I... And it, I it only has it. the one character that gets really influenced it by, with, by it with the kid. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's... It's a thing where I acknowledge your take of it. I just feel that I can view Unforgiven separate from the Wild Bunch in that mm-hmm. sense and bear it on its own. It's just still on its own. It's better than the Wild Bunch probably better it's probably better than butch cassidy on the sundance kid so that's a funner film that is a far more fun film but unforgiven's probably a little bit deeper and i give it points for that but up here this ain't in the top 10 nah top 15 top half maybe yeah maybe top 20 I could I could see in the top twenty pretty pretty easily once we get to the the next milestone, but that's where I'm I'm looking at. But Randy, next week we're gonna be looking at Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf by Mike Nichols. You know anything about this movie? Fuck no, I don't not know a nothing. damn thing. Not a goddamn thing. Uh, this movie is supposed to be an incredible tour de force performance. It's supposed to be great acting across the board, and I know dick all about it. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both going into a movie we know nothing of. Yeah, I, I think it's like a um a a relationship drama that's supposed to be like pretty poignant. But other than that, I don't really know. I'm really excited to give it a watch. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, you know, like I've heard the name before, but I don't know what it's about. Yeah, but um, that is going to be for next week. And if you wanted to listen to that for next week, you can go to anywhere you can find podcast, podcast, Spotify, anywhere and anywhere. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. That is The Film Vault on YouTube. Go watch some podcast videos. They're fun. Um, but yeah, Randy, 
any last words? Yeah, actually kind of a lot of them. Is Clint Eastwood's character the Unforgiven in this movie? He will never forgive himself for what he's done. All right, that's good enough for me. All right, everybody. See you next week.